It's live. It's something wholesome, episode two. And we're back. With something wholesome, episode two. <laughs> it feels nice to actually like do it more than one time. It always seems like every new project that you start, you have that like initial like honeymoon phase. You're all mm -hmm. excited about it and you do it one time and it goes pretty well. And you're like, oh shit, maybe I don't need to work on this as hard as I thought I would. And then suddenly you haven't touched it in six months and you're like, how did this happen? Like, how did I miss this thing that I was once excited about and have moved on to something else? Was it because that we felt like we did it so well? Is it because that we did do it so well? Like, wh why is that? Um, and I think that that kind of leads into our, our main topic, which we don't need to, like, dive super head in, like, headfirst into. But today we're going to be talking about being a jack of all trades. <laughs> yes, the, the notorious jack of all trades versus master of one debate is um, interesting. And I think that we have a lot in common. I'm assuming like uh, we just very briefly one second talked about how we both have a similar opinion on it. But I think that we'll dig in and find out that we have much more in common about it. It'll be interesting to have this conversation. And I also think that we also need to play devil's advocate and talk about certain aspects about our opinion that might be bad and to give people the knowledge about like, maybe this isn't the best mental mindset for everyone to approach it. But uh, I have a feeling that we're going to have a lot in common about what's worked for both of us and how that's shaped a lot of our creative projects as well as just our personal lives and stuff. So I think this is going to be a very interesting chat. But yes, the master of one versus jack of all trades it's deep and it's it's one of those topics that i think is is worth diving into from a creative standpoint and from people who launch creative projects and just life because um from an entrepreneur standpoint and narrowing down projects and starting new things it's it's very important to understand where you lie on this debate because it will help shape your time inside of those projects oh for sure for sure and it's like it's it's it feels weird to have this conversation now because it almost feels like uh in order to make it or to do anything now you have to be a jack uh, jack of all trades you can't just be the guy that does this one thing really well uh, i mean i think eventually you that may be a thing but anybody doing anything you know uh i i think that this world isn't really built for the master of one anymore it feels like and, and you know like maybe that's just me and like my mental disorder my or my uh neurodivergent brain like justifying that this world around me is fucking chaos but i don't know anybody anymore who focuses on being the master of one like that that is something that um is uh is a rare unicorn to me anymore uh which is is very weird I agree. And I cannot wait to get more into this. But first, how the heck are you, dude? It's 2022, which is the year that nobody can say right. I don't know if you've bumped into that, but people can't say 2022 for some reason. They like are adding. I heard somebody say 2020-22 the other day, and I was like, what did you just say? <laughs> it was like they just kept saying 20, and I was like, it stops eventually, right? You know that. Like it's 2022, and it was like 2020-22, and I was like, oh my God, where is this going? Dude, this is this is fucking year three AP. Like I'm uh, like time reset in 2020. Like you guys are all worried about 2022, and I'm like, there's a new book of our Lord. <laughs> it's the book of COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The third chapter begins. 
yeah yeah I've, we we are we are well past the point of me actually understanding like where i'm at uh I, personally i'm doing well but i have had a fucking crazy roller coaster since like new uh christmas happened we did our, our last one after christmas and you know we were all feeling good and festive and nice we're like oh we're gonna do our next one after new year's which is also gonna feel good festive and nice and then the night of new year's rolls around and the people that we were going to hang out with just a small gathering there's going to only be five of us one of them tested positive for covid after hanging out with them all day and i was like oh well let's not go even though i'm kind of getting to the point where like it's not that bad i still don't really want it and I, and especially since next week i'm going to be helping my family shut down our family business so i'm going to be like in oregon so the the last thing i want is to get like really sick right before having to go for 10 days to Oregon and bust my ass. So my wife and I just sat and like, we built Gundams all fucking weekend long. We had like, like we, we, we just like watched always sunny in Philadelphia. I built this thing. Check this out. Have you seen this sauce? No, I've seen cup of noodle, but I've not seen that. This is a one-to-one -one plastic reproduction of the cup noodles from the Nissan uh, or Nissan company. It is an exact replica of what it looks like. Just out, like it's a Gundam. They even have like, look at that stuff in there. It looks like the shit that makes like it's. It, it, this was such a fun project to do, and like. I got my wife uh, a Hello Kitty uh, model that's like in like armor and stuff. So it has this big dumb head on like real buff little arms. And it's like, so she did that all night. I was like, I'm building cup doodles all night long. Yes. Yeah. So we made the best of it. And uh, you know what? We made it to the new year. It's, it's a year, like I said, year three, year, year three of our, of uh, AP, three AP after pandemic. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's our junior year. You, We've only got the senior year and then we graduate COVID. So that's true. That's true. We're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we're not in like the third grade and we're just now <laughs> learning. Like I'm 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 going with high school years. Too. Yeah, this is yeah, I'm I'm sticking with the high school plan. We've got we've got just maybe this year of COVID. And then next year, if it's still around, if you're a senior, you definitely don't care, right? And by by senior yeah, year, yeah. you're like fucking whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just totally checked out at that point. Uh, how was your New Year's? What'd you What'd you do? Did you have a good Dude, time? It was the exact same as yours. It sounds like uh, we had, you know, like we were gonna have get together with some of our our like friends, which is you know just mostly couples that me and my wife hang out with, and it was um, exact same thing. Like two days before, the the couple that was gonna host it tested for positive for COVID. The day of, somebody else tested positive for COVID. It's like cool. I guess we're just gonna. Get, I guess we're hanging out at home. So that's the plan. <laughs> So yeah, it was, um, me and my wife definitely set a world record. I want to say we were asleep before nine o'clock. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, we, I don't think we even eat dinner before nine o'clock. Really? Like, like, yeah, we're one of those couples that like, my wife is uh, a night person too. And so she gets home and she'll like do yoga and like, you know, take a shower. And by the time she's done, it's like, it's like nine 30 <laughs> and half the time I haven't even started cooking until then. <laughs> yeah. My dog is losing his mind right now. I don't know what he's yelling at. No clue. Um, so 
we're not the late people. We go to bed on a, uh, on like a crazy night, like 10, maybe like, and we, Weird. yeah, we're, but we also are like really hardcore morning people. We're, we're up at like five 30, if not six at the latest every day. So it's like there was, I saw a tweet after new year's Eve that was like, sorry, I didn't respond to your 1201 happy new year's, um, text. I'll just write you back at six Oh one. And it was like, that's me. That's what we do. I think we were up at six o'clock the next day, making breakfast, chilling out. That's nuts. I like, I have to get up every morning at six with my cat for insulin. Like, I, so I'm up early, but like, I go right back to bed. I, I am, I am at that point where like, especially now that I don't have a job, like I've been forcing myself to go to bed early and early is two o'clock. <laughs> it's just like, I'm just going to bed. Like, yeah. like my wife is long in bed at that point. I'm just like, I guess, I guess I'm going to go lay down and try not to like roll around in bed too much and disturb her because like, that's the problem. Like you go to, if you're not ready for bed, you're just going to drive your partner fucking nuts. Like sitting right next to someone, like it's bad news. <laughs> it's absolutely bad news. If you, if you're restless, it's, uh, I, uh, I'm really bad at that. So, yeah. um, all right. Well, should we get into the beef, the meat and the potatoes? I, I think yeah I think that that uh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'll let it. you lead with this. Isn't that somebody else? who else says the meat and the potatoes? Is that somebody else's podcasting that they say? That's uh that is uh, uh trapped under plastic. Oh Always the boys at top. Yep, the meat and potatoes. Yep, yep. Okay, well we'll do um we'll get into the the beef and the beans in this burrito. I, I just like to talk about the topic. <laughs> <laughs> there's just something about like every podcast and everybody says like let's get into it let's you know and i'm like like i know that you guys are trying to like convey enthusiasm to your thing but when everybody is getting into it i'm just like i i, I don't know about this people <laughs> dude amen amen i would like to just talk about the topic like <laughs> getting into it sounds like a whole thing <laughs> yes it does it's right it's like it's like some intimidating like ladder that everybody has to climb up together it's like this was right here the whole time why'd you make a ladder you know anyways right right <laughs> exactly no i mean and, and that like when it, it it and i know that like totally this is behind the curtain of like content creation should be like 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 exciting and something that w people like that when they hear these like trigger things they're like oh yeah i want to listen to but like ha i can't count the number of times i've got into something got into something and been like this is the dumbest list <laughs> i have ever heard of in my entire fucking life i'd rather be like underplayed and be like we're going to talk about something and that by the end they're like i am i am fucking rocked my life has changed <laughs> like I want people to be uh, along for the ride because they want to be along. <laughs> I agree. Well, let's rock these motherfuckers and start off this debate with this. This okay. This is, I think, the most important part for having the discussion about the the jack of all trades, master of none. Is do you know yeah. the whole saying? Do you know where that comes from? I don't think I know where it comes from. Okay, so this is crazy. I didn't know this until a few weeks ago, and I don't even remember what podcast I was listening to. And somebody started talking about this, and I was like, holy shit. So it comes from Shakespeare, which is um, 
kind of cool, I guess. Um, a lot of things came from Shakespeare. The yeah. word eyeballs did not exist before Shakespeare. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he put those two together. Eyes and balls existed, but these were not <laughs> eyeballs. <laughs> well, I'll be damned. Okay. Well, more things. I, I might be wrong about that, but I, I feel like that's something from high school that I remember being like, huh, I'll be damned. <laughs> If that's true, I, that's crazy. I'm I'm a little mind blown <laughs> if that's true. Um, he also okay. came up with five G. <laughs> it was very weird. It was very ahead of his time. It was it was a weird chapter for the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, from Shakespeare, a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Mm, interesting Very. what's that from so it's actually it's um was it's him describing a stagehand is where that came from i did a little research on it to find out more but it's him describing uh a stagehand somebody who would hang out in a theater and they would help maybe get the cast together help with costuming makeup get you know the stage actually prepared and he was basically describing how that person can be much more positively impactful to somebody then that's just there to do makeup for example it's like you know you've got this person who's like just doing all these different projects and how that's helping the betterment of the whole production versus just you know maybe one person that's just specifically there right the master of one the, the makeup artist that's there to do the makeup instead you've got the stagehand who's just cherry picking everywhere, helping everywhere, trying to move forward sure. with everything. So that's, that's sure. the origins of that statement. And it's super interesting because I think, I think that the way that society has shifted that is like almost like a negative connotation in, in a way, because it's like, it's like the, the entire last half of the quote is unheard of. Like so many people don't even know that there's another part of that sentence. And it's like right. society focuses on the, like the Jack of all trades is a master of none and uses it to be almost like, well, if you, if you put your hand in too much, you'll never be an expert at anything. And it's um, that, I think, I think at least to me, when I hear that, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I feel like it carries like a negative connotation with it. For whatever reason, I feel like society spun the, this whole concept like negatively, which is very interesting to me. Hmm. I don't know. I've, I have totally seen it the exact opposite. Really? Okay. That's good. Because like I was raised in a family where my dad is a jack of all trades and like I, I've, I can say this with like 100% certainty that he probably has undiagnosed ADHD, just like me. Like where we, I, the more I research why I do the shit that I do, uh, it's, it's about the only thing that makes sense. And for someone like him, uh, you know, when you're, when you're left up to your own devices to like make work and money and all this stuff, so, sometimes you just like, follow you you follow the path along like this job led me to this thing which meant that i needed to learn this thing and so now we're no longer doing these two things we're now doing these things and then that thing leads to the next thing and you know it's i always thought it was just like being like being a nimble business owner uh you know like i think it was truly the fact that he got bored doing one thing and like had had to learn the next thing and when you are in uh any sort of custom business uh if you aren't a jack of all trades you're fucked <laughs> like you may master something in that but like you have to do everything it's nuts 
Yeah, I think that to me, the most interesting thing about the jack of all trades side of this argument, which I would say I identify as, like I'm much more focused on like learning many skills and and enough about them versus dedicating my life to one thing. I think what's so interesting about that side of this argument is that it, I, don't, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about how each one of those things can trickle into the other and how being a jack of all trades can help propel the other trades that you work on. And that certain things sure. like, you know, one hobby might lead to another hobby, but because you have experience in the first one, it might make your second hobby experience better. You might start off slightly higher tier at production quality or whatever your hobby is, right? Like, you know, for um, miniature painting, for example, right? If, if one of my hobbies is photography, um, I will take better pictures of miniatures just flat out. And those two play off of each other, right? So then I start to learn more about like, hey, you know, if my focus as a miniature painter is taking excellent photos, there's a couple tweaks I can make while I paint that might make my photos look better, um, that might make the mini showcase better. Um, but, you know, one of my other hobbies, you know, photography uh, helps me learn more about just the art of the art of photography really and and how to sure. take a proper photo what what the settings really mean when you're photographing and and how to use that to do the very best i can which helps accelerate my miniature painting hobby and so sure. that's i think one of the most important things about this whole argument in this debate is like you know i think for me there's always been tremendous value in wanting to learn as many buckets as possible and figuring out what I'm passionate about and care about and, and using those and my learnings from each one of those to kind of propel the other things around me. And that, that to me is what's the most interesting piece about, you know, the Jack of all trades debate, because it's, it's sure. almost like you're, you're taking your, your tools and your skills and you're using them to enhance your other tools and skills. And it can sure. be super powerful as like a force multiplier to be like, hey, I I can use this skill to make my other things better. And yeah. uh, it's, I think that's when you're considering where you live in this, you know, argument in the spectrum. I think if you're on the jack of all trades side, figuring out how your skills, if at all possible to kind of force multiply your other skills is so important to, to benefiting the most you can from from what you're working on well absolutely i think that a lot of people like to compartmentalize parts of their life it, it makes sense that like mini painting is its own little box and none of the things that you learn over here can uh inform the rest of your life because this is something that's separate and sacred and i think a lot of people get like really intense about that sort of thing you know where i think you and i are much more uh built on like turning our hobbies into shit that like informs the rest of our lives you know like when i'm into something i don't just i'm not into it i'm like really into it and so i will be thinking about it 24 7 and like um when i when i was with the circus so but a little backstory <laughs> I did a stint for two two summers and like people go to war, people join the army. I, uh, I joined the circus for, for two summers, I did two, two tours, uh, which is, uh, a, 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 not like a life long thing that, you know, like there are people that are born into circus and they move on. And we look at every single one of those peoples of like, that guy is a master of riding horses so like he he is the this is his master but you you realize that like 
every little bit of their life is um uh, i always like it's all momentum and inertia you know like they learn from one thing that pushes them into the next thing and while they might be good at doing backflips on the ground now they're good at doing backflips in the air because now they understand the mechanics of this thing and it you know their next trick informs their next trick their next discipline that they go into which in like then informs how the show was built around them which then they have to design which they have to do this thing like like one trick can lead into like 20 different aspects in their lives and so you sit here and you start watching people be like i don't know how to do this and i see people like the circus folk who are like built off of like necessity is the mother of invention like they fucking invent everything everything that they use is built off of the need for their next step and so for us looking at them we're like oh they are the master but the truth is they are the 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 ultimate jack of all trades you only get to see the one thing that they show you and that's something that like i carry through to every part of my life like i think of the understanding how light reflects off of a mini can make me understand how you know when i was picture framing how the light reflecting off the paper then informs the mat which then inform like these are things that like I got better at my job because I painted plastic toys. And that's something that I think by compartmentalizing your life and like, this is the one thing that I focus on and not letting it bleed over into the other aspects. I think it's really dangerous. I think that you miss out on a lot of uh, synergy, (laughs) you know, the the vertical integration of your growth. And so it's something that uh, when I see people not, you know, not looking at, their life holistically like like you don't just exist a hobby you don't just exist to work you are alive on this planet and like every little bit of what you do informs what what the rest of you does i just find it really weird that you know they would shut themselves off from that sort of growth i agree i i think it's going back to what you said kind of early in the show like that you don't know if the world's really cut out or even possible for a master of one to exist in a lot of in a lot of senses right now. I think that that's true. I would agree with that. I think it's a hot take, but I agree with it. I think that it is. I think it's becoming increasingly more difficult, especially as a creative to be a master of one. I think that there's very few, you know, like, you know, outside of our hobbies and our niche, like, you know, if you look at like, you know, like top tier musicians, right? They're, they're acting, they're doing all sorts of other stuff. It's not just like, I'm just a, a phenom of a singer. It's like, well, are you your are you a songwriter also, you know, cuz so many people don't even write their own music and are you acting and are you doing all these other things and it's like I think that we are definitely at a division in the world where we're seeing a lot more focus around uh mastery, not even mastery. I would say um proficiency in many skills versus mastery in one and uh, it's it's really interesting. I think as a creative, I would completely agree with you. I think it's a very hard um, place to be in, to be a master of one creative. I think that they exist. It's just like, you know, like is weird Al the master of one, you know, like, I'm just trying to think nope. of like, did he do other nah, stuff? Weird Al is like, <laughs> like the, the Jack of all trades. There's a reason why. So like famously weird Al early in his career decides that he wants to do a Beverly Hillbillies parody of money for nothing by dire straits. And fucking mark knopfler was like 
that's the stupidest shit I have ever heard. <laughs> you can't fucking do this. And Mark Knopfler is a hell of a guitar player. Like he is a kind of like one of those unsung heroes. Like his flat picking style is really specific and different. And he, um, <laughs> he famously told Weird Al, well, if you can learn how to play this on guitar and you can play guitar and sing this, you can do a cover of this song. And so Weird Al was like, I play accordion. How hard can it be? <laughs> fucking picked up guitar to learn that song and and did it and within a year uh you know that was one of the biggest hits of his career you know it, it <laughs> like early on you know before before it was uh you know fat and and eat it and all of that it might have been eat it era weird al but like that's a dude who i think once you are in the jack of all trades thing like this is what i'm going to do to to survive you will never find an obstacle that you can't figure out like like suddenly you know fucking mount mount everest is just a uh you know a nice little jaunt you know it might be hard but it's like you're still like oh yeah but i fucking can get over that i understand that like everything is just as you know a, again it's that inertia that momentum that movement one thing informs the other and if you can't ride that wave like you're fucking dead in the water so like you might as well get over that fucking mountain climb that hill get to the top use what you've used and you will grow from it. Like, I think, I think, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, like, I, when I hear things like that Weird Al story, I'm just like, that motherfucker is what I want to be. Like, that, that, that's like, that's amazing. Like, that's in inspirational. And it's not just like, you know, oh, he beat the dick. Like, no, he learned an entire new language to make this, like, good guitar playing is another language playing like mark knopfler is someone else's language he learned it just to make a beverly hillbillies parody like that was his goal i'm making this song and this is gonna rock <laughs> i love it well i mean two things if if weird al is not a master of one then there's no such thing and then number two um i didn't know you knew so much about weird al i just literally saw like a meme about weird al today and so that's what was on my mind i was like man that motherfucker nailed it like you know what like i never saw him in anything but i only heard his music like i didn't know anything like i was like ah, i'm sure he's maybe done something else but i've never seen it i've never seen him in <laughs> anything that's like not just here's a song i made you know Oh, dude, you got to watch uh, UHF. He did a movie in what? the 80s called UHF. I think it's on Amazon. Uh, it is unbelievably funny. It's um, this whole parody of uh, he's like a fry cook at a fast food place, and he um, inherits a, uh, a, a, a like a UHF TV studio. So it's like UHF 57 or something. So it's like nobody watches it. You know, back in the day when like, you didn't have like digital tv it was like everything under like channel nine was vhf and then after that like or or 13 or something after that it was uhf ultra high frequency and it was the those were the stations that were like way harder to like watch because they're, they didn't have like much uh uh power behind their their uh, uh transmissions so like he takes over this it has uh what's his name the guy from uh uh seinfeld kramer mm -hmm. uh michael richards before he went all racist doing probably the best role in his entire life um as stanley spadowski that i mean like it's one of the fucking funniest movies ever i love weird al it's like holy shit i, I had no idea I, what an amazing <laughs> rabbit hole that we just went through together <laughs> Dude, like how many people 
have built an entire career out of making people happy. Dude. And not and not doing it in like weird sappy ways. He's doing it with humor and with things that sometimes will make you think. He's it's not like he's like the biggest like uh you know political satire guy, but like he makes you think about the world differently. And uh, you know, like I can't hear Gangster's Paradise without <laughs> rapping Amish Paradise. Like I can't. They're the like fucking the only reason Coolio had a career, in my opinion, is because Weird Al made him fucking famous. <laughs> Weird Al made him. <laughs> yeah, like he he uh, had a great song, and you know he got in that Dangerous Mind soundtrack. But the reason we still think about Coolio to this day is because Weird Al made him a household name. I'm not gonna lie, I like this take. I think that's fair, dude. I I I'm on board with that. I'm down. I'm down. You have sold me. You know, I didn't. I was a pretty easy sell because I didn't have an opinion either way about why Coolio is Coolio. But I'm fucking sold on this, dude. Dude, like seriously, watch Weird Al's career and watch how people around him become permanent fixtures even though like you may not think about them every day like those some of those songs you know it's just like he cemented them into pop culture and it's amazing and like he finally won a grammy talk about somebody really? who's put in the work he like i saw him four years ago i think and it was one of the greatest live shows i've ever seen it was fantastic it was like wow. he, he still puts on a great show and uh you know, like he he's put in the work and to finally get like that sort of recognition, like even though like after that point, I'm sure it doesn't mean a whole lot. I think it means a lot to the world saying like something like this can exist. It's good and it's important in the world. Well, there you have it. Weird Al is a, go, is a jack of all trades. So, I mean, I feel like we, that's could, do, all we the... could do an entire Weird Al episode. I'm I, down. I, I want to know, know more now. I want to know more now. We'll definitely have to table that Weird Al week, and I can't wait. If if maybe once we get a community thing going, we can do like uh, an online movie watch with everybody, and we'll watch UHF because it's it's hilarious. It's one of my favorite things ever made. I love that. Um, so... <laughs> Jack of all trades, right? It sounds fucking sweet, right? On the surface, but yeah, and it is sweet. I mean, I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But have you ever experienced any negatives from it? Like, what is the downside of being a jack of all trades? Um, I think what is it? The Dunning Kruger effect? Is that is that the thing where you think that you're much better than what you are, but you realize that you're actually at the lowest point, uh, and so like. There's there's that thing like you convince yourself that you're you're doing better at things, but you haven't had enough time to actually learn where you're fucking up. And so like once you actually see that, you it knocks you back. Like I think that I think that being a jack of all trade can be one that uh can hurt your ego quite a bit as like you, you Sometimes, like, especially if you don't focus in on certain things or you don't feel like you've caught that through thread, it can, it can just feel like you're spinning your wheels. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, and, and I think that that is another thing that I, I suffer from a lot in, in my, uh, you know, undiagnosed ADHD is like, I sometimes just have no idea what I'm doing. And then, and then that turns into me just doing fucking nothing because like, I can't decide because I got too much. And, uh, and where if I would have just focused like, like on models or on music or on, you know, 
fucking close-up card magic or whatever I'm doing that week, um, I think I could have a much happier life. Yeah. No, I could definitely relate to that. There's definitely times where I'm like, wow, I got so many projects on my plate. Uh, I guess I'm just going to do nothing to start addressing them. So that's probably the best. That, that's the best road. I do that at least maybe once a week. I'm like, cool. I've got three hours, 20 things to do. Um, I'm going to fucking watch um, YouTube. <laughs> Dude, I literally just watched the entire three season run of uh, The Leftovers this weekend because I was like, I want to watch a show that like, I, like I want to watch a show that I remember being emotionally really challenging and I want to see if it's just as good now. And that show is a tough show. And in a post pandemic world, it's even tougher. And it's like by the end, like, you know, and that's three full seasons of TV that like uh, I just did in the last, and and I still managed to pass like two college classes. But like, I'm like I I'm, I want to watch this thing, but I also like I don't know how to get my regular life to to match that. <laughs> yeah, that's I yeah I totally get where you're coming. As soon as you're like I got like all these different projects, so I'm just gonna do nothing to deal with it. I'm like fucking a dude, I get that. I do that all the time. Yeah, like that's it's amazing that you can actually produce what you do with you know if that is a thing of yours. You are I feel one of the most active people I've ever seen as far as like take your commissions very seriously. When you were doing YouTube all the time, you took it very seriously. When you're streaming, you take it very seriously. Like you take your responsibilities extremely uh, uh, seriously. I have problems with that. <laughs> I get to that. Like I don't, I don't, I don't wanna. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I probably fall more into the I don't want a category than it might appear at times. But I think that I I think I overproduce when I am being serious that it, it kind of covers that up. But I definitely go through the I don't want to phases. And I it's think those, it's those cheat codes that you have. Like yeah. you live your life min maxing your time. So when you are <laughs> actually fucking doing something, it looks like you're doing way more than everybody else. And I kind of hate you for it. But I'm like also incredibly inspired by it. I'm like, well, that motherfucker just did like a 4,000 point army this month. What? <laughs> I'm like, I have painted like a model. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that later this episode. I'll tell I'll, I'll okay. I posted it in our discord chat, but there's a checklist. There is a weapon I use to help me with some of this stuff, but good. Um, yeah. I think that some of the negatives to me on the same topic, I mean, some of the negatives of the Jack of all trades, one thing that I do all the time that is, um, fucking horrible and it's definitely not helping is like i just stretch myself out i'm like i could do this i could do this i could do this i could learn a little bit about this i could learn a little bit like you know what i mean and all of a sudden i've just got literally 20 things on my plate and it's like then that will ultimately lead to me leaving projects behind me leaving a lot of loose ends on shit half half baked ideas that you know like i know last week we talked about you know the are you a zero to 100 business creator i got ideas that made it from zero to two you know and they're just sitting there mm -hmm. waiting for either me to pick it back up or to hand it off and and i think that that is one of the issues that i bump into with the jack of all trades mentality is i i just start things everywhere and a lot of them i i really go the mile with you know i'll really take that from like a zero to idea to like a you know a 30 a 40 and it's like but um there's a lot of them that never make it past like two or three that are just like it's like sure. something i start and i'm like ah fuck it you know like i got too many other projects and this would be cool but 
I can't, you know? And that leaves, right. um, I think at times, I, th- I would say I'm pretty good at coping with leaving unfinished projects, you know? I think I'm mentally pretty good with being like, ah, yeah, it didn't work out, or ah, I'll come back to that. Um, but there's definitely- right. At this point, you've done it enough times that it's no longer yeah. shocking that you do it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's a lot of other projects that I've taken much further than that two or 3% phase. And you know, we're at the 20, 30% phase. And then I'm like, yeah, I just can't. I'm just not going to do that anymore. And that I think sure. is a little bit more mentally taxing. And so I, I would say that that's something to be aware of if you're the jack of all trades person is is learning how to accept projects that you didn't finish and figuring yeah. out like, you know, number one, that's okay. Like that happens. There's unfinished projects all across the world. Um, and uh, it's, I think it's pretty normal for that to occur. I agree. I think that, uh, that uh, I think that that is a problem with with you know non neurotypical brains like we we can get into it like i an old boss who called called me a dilettante and i was like wow thanks and he's like most people wouldn't think that that's a good thing <laughs> and i was like it's a word that i've never heard before so like you know what i'm going to i'm going to say that it's a good thing right now and then i looked it up later and the dilettante is a person who like goes from scene to scene from group to group without investing a whole lot of time into it so they amass a lot of knowledge but they haven't um uh like actually done the work on it and so they can talk with some sort of like um uh you know authority on on the thing and may and may not actually have the skills to back it up like that sort of thing like not really a phony but also like it's kind of like being a phony and uh and he, he said this because like I um, after getting into tarot cards and shit like that, I realized that actually I really just want to learn close up card magic. And then, so I ended up joining the Magicians Guild in St. Louis <laughs> because that formed another one of my hobbies that I was trying to do of which he was like the president at the time. And like which was funny because like. You know, he'd never expected anybody of his past life to like follow him into this weird like circle. And here I am, this old boss of mine and him and I just like talking magic and how tricks work and all this shit. And he's just like, it's like, dude, you are way too into this for somebody who's only been into it for like two months. And I'm like, yeah, I, it's kind of my thing. It's it's, it's either no or it's uh, it's all gas, no brakes, or that fucking car is fucking dead on arrival. Like I I'm I'm like full tilt or not moving at all. And and that's when he called me a dilettante, and I was like, he's like, I say it with the the most love because like most people can't be like you, but like also. You know, you talk like you have some sort of authority and you haven't done it long enough to even understand. And that's that Dunning-Kruger effect where you're like, I am way better than what I am, but really I'm actually like at the worst I've ever been. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's, I think the jack of all trades is like a very fine tooth edge to walk, you know, or very, very sharp edge, whatever that saying is. Sure. It can, sure. it can be a, 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 it's a really a test of balance, you know, like how, how much can you take off and how much can you chew on before it's too much and before it starts to impact, you know, some of the things that you actually are very excited about, some of your projects that you are very pumped on. I think it's Absolutely. easy to get totally lost in, in too many things. And I think it's, yeah, 
it's something that I've experienced personally. There's definitely been things where I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like, why did I even consider starting that? Or why did I actually start that? You know? And then it's, yeah. you know, I think I've uh, become better over the years at realizing, you know, a, a lost investment and being like, okay, let's, let's cut that. Um, and removing it, you know, to be able to focus on the other stuff that is important. But the, I think that that's definitely a, 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 you know, a negative side effect to be aware of as a jack of all trades is it's like, before you know it, you got 20 projects at once and you, yeah, you like the idea of all of them, but you only care about five, you know, and it's like, how yeah, do you, sure. how do you deal with the rest of it? And how does that falling out work? And so it's, that's definitely something I've gone through. Sure. No, one of the things that I found that uh, you know not every ho hobby uh, is uh, super welcoming and or like friendly to liberal minded people and progressive people and uh you know after the january 6 um uh, uh riot and insurrection i decided that like you know I, I grew up around guns like i was like i've they're not something that scares me i've owned them they're fine um but like i i wasn't practiced with them and like i was just like i don't think that i want only you know the lunatic fringe fucking you know conservative people being able to know how to use firearms like i think that that is a dangerous thing and so i got super into gun culture after january 6 and so bought a couple more guns got into practicing got like found a range that is neutral enough that like i'm not getting like trump shit crammed down my throat <laughs> but also i know that i shouldn't tell everybody that i'm super pro-abortion and i fucking hate religion <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like i probably probably shouldn't like go down that uh that road and it took me into some really really dark toxic like zones like because like the people that had the information there all were fucking nuts and nobody like the love of teaching was it wasn't the same it had this whole survivalist aspect to it which um while fascinating and you know just just to see what the other side really takes uh seriously was like really eye-opening and like i think i'm actually better because like i'm realized that most of these people aren't insurrectionists that didn't celebrate what happened on fucking january 6 but um also not a lot of them are speaking against it and so like, yeah um you know it that was one of the things that like i didn't un expect that to be a cost associated with doing like that hobby but it really affected me like mentally just trying to understand what my place in this was and you know like and and really why i was doing it. like you were saying earlier you, you know you have to know the why you're doing it and i i couldn't really gauge whether or not it was because i was afraid that i and i would have to do something like to protect myself or my wife or my family my house yeah or like did i just actually like really get into the fucking physics of it as like now like I really want to get into like one handed, uh, you know, 10 meter fucking uh, Olympic shooting. Like, yeah. I'm like I fucking love it. Like I at the actual meditation aspect of it, like get past the political shit, like the like focus of like I'm doing this thing is it's it's so fun and i can sit there and just like single hand at the range like with my little 22 and just like I, I just love it. I'm like, I can do an entire afternoon that way. And so like that, the negative 
was far outweighed by the positive, but there was a, a point where I was like, why did I even do this? This is like, this is not healthy for me. I am not happy right now. Dude, that's so that's so crazy. I got into firearms. I have firearms too. We've talked about this. I got into it for sure. almost the exact same reason just four years ago, five years ago now. I don't know. So oh, maybe really? six. Yeah. It's been, I've been into it for quite a while. You know, I've got a, a collection, but, um, it sounds like we went through the exact same experience where it was like, you know, I think it'd be interesting to see what this is all about, you know? And then you learn about it. You're like, <laughs> oh, this seems cool. And then you end up in some weird, like, you know, you're watching like weird YouTubes and all of a sudden you're like listening to people and reading articles and you're like, you are fucking crazy. And then you're like, crazy. then you find back in the middle again. And you're like, okay, I get why this is, this exists, you know? And it's, yeah. I think it's super important. Like as like a side note, I think like politically, I think it's very important to challenge your perspective and see if you really feel like that, right? Like, I think like, I sure. would say I predominantly identify as left on the vast majority of issues and like on paper, right? I'm supposed to be like super anti-gun, right? And it's like, so then why don't I just go buy one and go shoot it and learn about the culture and see if, if that actually is how I feel, right? Like, I don't want to be told that's how I should feel. I want to go find out. And I think that yeah. that's like, that was a super powerful moment for me to really start to challenge my own ideologies and be like, hey, like, do I really feel like this? Because I'd like to find out. And it turns out like uh, with with precautions and safety, like firearms are fucking awesome. They're fun, dude. They're fun. <laughs> like literally they're just fun. I get why these people have them. I get why they're like, let's go shoot in the woods. You know, like I get why this exists. I understand definitely the negatives. I definitely understand like, hey, there's some shit we need to maybe figure out. But like, I sure. think it's really important to challenge your ideologies. And maybe that's, you know, I think another positive of jack of all trades is it gives you a lot of opportunities to experience things to challenge and, and potentially reroute your own beliefs and things right like if you're if you're yeah. considering like you know getting into anything right any sort of a hobby or business venture or whatever if it scares the shit out of you you should do it like if you are scared of it or you don't understand it i think you should try it out and see if it if it is if your fear is founded or if it's just a misunderstanding. And I think that that's a sure. real positive of being a jack of all trades is you, you have a lot of opportunity to really sink your teeth into many things and, and really find out for yourself what, what is the right fit for your life and, and what just really isn't. And um, I would say that's definitely one positive that's followed me through a lot of my jack of all trades journeys is I've just learned a lot. I've been experienced to a lot of stuff sure. instead of just, you know, being like, you know, if, if I thought about, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago at this time, the literal only thing I cared about was making music and being a DJ and producing records. And that was it. Like I was really kind of a master of one for a few years. That was it. That was my hobby. That was it. I am now since then, right? Like I am a very, very passionate golfer. I love golf, right? Really? Uh, yeah. And I lived on a golf course, right? My apartment, my it was a golf course, right? It backed up. Like this wow. was it. I lived on a golf course, never walked on onto purpose. It. Like, like you were like, I have to live on this golf course. Or was that what made you into golf? Because like, no, I could see it working both ways. So it's weird. So I played golf off and on, like since I was two, right? I had my first golf club. Oh, when no, I was okay, two. Okay. Yeah. So I played off and on my whole life. It's always been kind of a part of me. But um, during the phase of being like, you know, working on music and be like, oh, I'm a musician, you know, like that was it. Like I literally lived like a hundred yards from this thing that I grew up doing. I lived there for two years. I didn't even step foot on that golf course once, you know, like it just, it never, and it never even crossed my mind to do it. It was like, I am only <laughs> making music. And it was like, that was it, you know? And then I kind of, I've gone through a 
a lot of personal growth in the last like you know 10 years and a lot's changed but um mm. i've grown a lot as a person because i think i've experienced more right like you know i'm i play a lot of golf now but i have a lot of other hobbies too and and all those kind of play together and it was it was a weird chapter to be so just narrowly focused on just one goal one mission in mind like i am making records that is it and yeah. um you know at times that can feel good you know it gave me it i knew what my fucking afternoons looked like you know like i knew my plan like <laughs> <laughs> there was i definitely was not suffering from the i've got 12 projects i guess i'm just gonna do none of them that was not happening at that time i knew exactly what i was doing um yeah but man i just looking back i feel so narrow-minded about what i was doing with my time how much stuff i potentially missed out on and and it's it's really interesting and it was a very very brief window of that because I, I don't think that any other parts of my life were that narrowly focused on just one thing um sure but it was the closest i've been to like the master of one mentality and you know i would say it never really fully set in but it was the closest i've been and it was very interesting it's really interesting to think about now like how much that was it was like almost in a lot of ways it was almost the only thing about me you know what i mean like you know like i, I think a lot of people have heard the like oh you know you're you become your hobby or there's certain people like you know like oh you're a car guy oh that's like that's it that's all you like you that you're just a car guy that's all you talk about it's your whole life blah, car blah, blah, guy blah. gun guy yeah yeah you know, like there's and and it's typically like males that get <laughs> like lumped in that because you don't ever like you never say oh you're a fucking quilter to a woman who quilts like nobody ever t says it like it's a bad thing like and, and i don't know if that comes down to like the aspect of our our society and the fact that like guys have been allowed to run amok in this fucking world for like way too long <laughs> and they get their families into all sorts of problems because they're like yeah but there's this mickey mantle fucking rookie baseball card that i can get because it's worth this thing and they're like okay well i guess we aren't going on vacation so you can have your fucking baseball card you know like and maybe that's where your like negative connotation of the jack of all trades like super obsessive personality that like continues to grow and do weird things maybe that's where that comes from because um yeah i don't know many uh women who have hobbies while i may not want to like listen to them all the time like in the same that i don't want to listen to everybody else and their hobbies all the time the things that they're into and are super passionate about um I don't think it comes with near the the like emotional cost of like oh a guy's into fucking like hot rods again <laughs> you know yeah. like like there there isn't that same sort of shit that comes with it yeah I know and it's like you know you know what it probably is is it's it's like I think society is just so harsh on women in general that that's like the least of anybody's worries you know they're like ah you're probably right <laughs> like, which just breaks my heart that I you know. just said that i was like oh shit <laughs> you're fucking probably because right. no i was thinking i was like you know what he's i get what you're saying and i'm like how can that be the thing and i'm like oh you know it's because society just treats women like such shit that it's like it doesn't even matter you know it's like ah who cares what your hobbies are you know like that's yeah, and let it's them like have their fucking dude thing. god society's the fucking worst and it's like yeah of course guys are like ah i don't want to be labeled as a hot rod guy and it's like dude <laughs> that's not that bad you know that right <laughs> yeah yeah out of all the things that could be going on there that's like the least weird thing <laughs> oh my god dude yeah and it's i don't know i think that that's like i think people you know the masters of one get get lumped into these like oh that's your whole personality thing and it's like uh maybe
but do you know any masters of one is that something that like you have ever really encountered <sighs> um to be honest i don't think so I, I would really have to like the fact that i can't like off the cuff think of somebody tells me probably not i mean i'm sure if i really like think through the people i know and you know especially professionally um I might know some people that would really fall in that category, you know, like, I don't know, like a really fucking good accountant. Right. You know, like, I don't know. Dude, it- I was literally just thinking a fucking accountant <laughs> like that. I was like about the only person I've ever met in my entire life who seemed like a master of one was an accountant. Like that's yeah. all he did. It was just money and counting money and trying to find new ways to save money. Like that's, that was his passion. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think they probably exist. I just would really have to think, if I know any personally and like, (sighs) I don't know off the cuff. I'm going to say, no, I I haven't grown up around it. I would say, you know, like, um, you know, both my parents were definitely not that, you know, my mom was always trying to do weird things and, and, you know, try new jobs and whatever. And and my dad, I mean, may now not him. No, he's definitely not a master of, of one. (laughs) He's, he's a little bit, I think I got the hobby bug from both of my parents, just like next level. They're like, oh, we got a couple hobbies. I'm like, Pfft. like, uh, let's see what I started this year. What's a new hobby, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> like when I went to college um, and my brother did too. Like once we were out of the house, my parents just decided to take up beekeeping. Like what the fuck? I came home and they're like, yeah, we built a beehive and moved in some bees. And I was like, <laughs> Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, all right, I guess you guys are pretty fucking bored now that the kids are out of the house, but sure. Yeah, man. yeah. So it's a I, good project, you know, like <laughs> therapists are all about the good projects. And when you got that empty nest happening. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I don't think I've been around any masters of one. Have you? Yeah. I, I mean, like, I know people who like their whole thing is guitar and like they they work to play guitar and so like and i've watched them like wreck their lives for this and like this kind of goes into me talking about like my uh my my mother-in-law you know you know looking at picasso's career and being you know pissed that she didn't ever hit the full potential that she could have like because she sacrificed her life for everyone else i'm like yeah but like when you're at that fucking point and like even you know like Picasso had to learn like a million different ways to paint before he landed on painting like a four-year-old like he and and became a master at all of them like that like but his thing was paint like his mastery was paint and he made it there but the sacrifice to be that and I don't know anybody who really wants to sacrifice that like uh, the the people that I have seen do it rarely make their actual living out of it it rarely becomes what they need it to be to justify the the chaos that it brings in their life and so like i i don't know like i've always kind of looked at the the mono-focused mind especially an obsessive mono-focused mind is like being like maybe a little too dangerous you know and Mm -hmm. uh and it just puts it puts an unnecessary stress on things that should be easy in your life and um you know, I've, 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 I've seen it go really poorly. So like that, that's where I've been, yeah. you know, it's, it's usually all music related when it comes down to that, something artsy and, yeah. and uh, like, oh, I'm changing the fucking world. I'm like, you are not changing the world. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I love you and I wish you would, yeah. but it's not happening. 
So is the pro, I guess to me, the pro of the master of one approach is like top tier complete mastery because I am, and this, this will be an interesting debate that I'm sure will happen now. I do not believe that a jack of all trades can approach mastery of any skill that they're partaking. I believe that they can become very good at it, but will never be a world-class master. Like I'm talking like the, the 1% of anybody, the top 1%, maybe even of the 1%, you know what I mean? I'm talking absolute elite tier. I don't know if a jack of all trades could ever hit that. And so to me, that is, I think it's very easy to see a lot of benefit in jack of all trades mentality and approach, but I think that there also has to be like, it's, it's a balance, right? It's a yin and a yang between the two. And I think the master of one has to come with a significant strength to outweigh the, in my mind, bazillion reasons why Jack of all trades is a superior mentality. But I think it right. comes down to absolute mastery, like the absolute top tier mastery of a skill set. You know, I, I do, uh, I do agree with you. I think that I would like to uh, argue with you on that, but I just don't, I, I honestly don't know if I can. Like, it's one yeah. of those that you, when you start actually thinking about what that actually means and, you know, like, think of any of the YouTubers that are famous for doing art. Like, look at fucking Jazza. Like, Jazza is a, a an extremely, like, agile artist as far or or craftsman i don't know like what you would call someone like him because like sometimes i think he he is making actual like conceptual art that is a thing and a lot of the times i think that he's kind of closer to like the bob ross it's very artistic but it's like he's going through the motions repeating um you know like hit his thing that he's really good at may not actually even be the art it may just be the fact that he's really like great on screen and people like watching him so like i you know it's that's a really hard thing to say like how do you get to be the master i mean with five million subscribers like you would think that he's a master but when you like actually look at him like no that is the jack of all trades he's the mm -hmm. master of being a jack of all trades i think is maybe the way i'd look at it like yeah he, he's done so much and uh and you know works like 60 70 hours a week you know like the the sacrifice is there for him to be what he is um it's just kind of fascinating to think about it that way you know like i I don't want my fucking doctor who's like taking out my heart to be also thinking about his future dice rolls and his Warhammer hobby at the same time. I would like his one passion to be <laughs> my fucking heart getting in and out of my body safely. Totally. Um, but yet, you know, I understand the need of uh, creative expression and like even, even the most focused people, you know, you're symphony musicians your surgeons the you know the people who can't take their eye off the prize have to have something that puts them at least a little bit into the jack of all trades you know thing like they're not just all day gallbladders and fucking like <laughs> treble clefts like there's got to be something that that allows them to um you know unwind because like when i am super focused on one thing I start to do really weird things like you see a band-aid right here i uh i i pick myself like i get obsessive and i pick myself and when i get super stressed out on something i rip out all my eyelashes too like i do that when i focus too hard on one thing 
I've been going really hard at school and realizing that this is my, <laughs> my outlet is, is like, I'm taking it out on my body. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's because if I didn't do that, I would probably be a total dickhead to everybody around me. So I don't know, like, but the, the master of one thing, it, it feels like it, it, anytime I'm getting too deep into one thing, I, I have some sort of like really negative backside to it vis-a-vis picking my skin till I have big open wounds on my face because who doesn't like scars on people's face when they're looking at them? <laughs> I've been watching the Witcher. Um, apparently each scar has a story. So yeah, you did like, unless if you subscribe to really, really unique, uh, Reddit, uh, threads, you don't want to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want to hear most of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My, my, a lot of my scars are like, and I took an exacto blade and I cut it open. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a very interesting place to look for the masters of one is in sports because I think that's where we see statistically. I think that's one of the easiest ways to see like, are you really like the top of the top, right? Like Tiger Woods is the sure. best, uh, arguably the There's best golfer that's ever lived. To, yeah, yeah, did, yeah. And but Tiger Woods, I mean the same thing, right? Like Tiger Woods is so like hyper focused on golf that he's got, you know, turns out he's just got this like, you know, horrible like sex addiction and, and had the, you know, Dude, a bunch golf of golf like, and pussy. That's all that <laughs> motherfucker cares about. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, like he does not care about anything else. Right. And like so he was the very best golfer that's arguably ever yeah. lived. And like, but that was like he was bred into that. He was forced into that as a child. And that became child, that was yeah. every single thing about him. You know, like he was a phenom by the time he was like seven, you know. Like I think he was on I want to say he was on it was like, like Letterman or Carson. Yeah, that's or what something. I was just gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Letterman or Carson is like a child. He's like on there chipping, yeah. and the audience is like, Holy shit, look at this kid go, you know? And it's like all these dudes who suck at golf in the audience are jealous of this seven-year-old. And it's like <laughs> it's you know, he's an absolute master. It's the ten thousand do you do you like subscribe to the idea of the 10,000 hours of mastery, by the way? Do you know I, about that? I do. I think, think, I think that that is a real thing. I think that um, it exponentially gets lower depending on what you've done before. Like, I think that like, as you level up your sneak skill ability, it also helps you like level up your charisma yeah. at the same time. Like, I think I don't think any one thing just goes up at, at, at the alone, but I do think that there is a, a very true statement about um, you know ten thousand hours. You know, one of my circus friends had a T-shirt that was like, "This is how you learn how to ride a unicycle," and it's like. It's fucking hilarious because it feels super true. Is first step one, get a unicycle. Step two, fall off the unicycle a thousand times. Step three, you've learned how to ride a unicycle because, like, it takes the repetition. It takes you know all of that to 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 build a good uh, uh, habit and routine around learning and getting better. Uh, you know, like I easily put. 10,000 hours and playing Nintendo as a kid. Like that was like what I did. And all my friends were like, why are you so good at playing games? And it's like, cause I get sunburnt when I go outside. So like, like to me, I didn't know that I was mastering, you know, something, you know, like Castlevania, but like I could get to the point where like I was speed running like resident evil two and shit like that. And like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Like, you know, super Metroid, and all my friends are like, how'd you get so good at it? And I was like, I don't I just play games, man. Like, so I, like that shit disappeared, you know, once I figured out that I could, you know, 
get laid in high school (laughs) (laughs) and guitar was much cooler but as a kid i was a master i was a master of pushing buttons and now like it's it's just something that i do from time to time as a as a way to unwind so like that mastery as a child has turned into a jack of all trades as an adult um so i, mm-hmm. I don't know man it's weird it is weird the ten thousand hour thing is really weird because it's it's like a math way to break everything and like i it was years ago and i crunched the numbers and i probably fucked it up ever since but i think it's five years if you do something for 40 hours a week it takes you I don't know, whatever the math is. It's like roughly five years. If you literally every single week do one thing for 40 hours in five years, in theory, following this ideology, you're, you are a master at it. And it's, um, it's interesting. I think that I, I don't know. I go through believing it and not believing it, right? Like this is, I think it's an interesting perspective, but I think that it's much less end all be all than that statement, right? Because sure, I think the mastery target moves over time anyways. So like what you're working towards for five years, by the time you get there, it might be a completely different target because the meta of whatever that hobby or sport or like whatever it is might have shifted and you've spent five years working towards something that's now not there. It's a different road. Um, so yeah. I think that's the biggest problem with that 10,000 hours thing. But I think also some people like don't understand um, like quality practice. What does 40 hours mean? You know, like, and I think that it's easy for me to like lean into golf, for example, because that's something I spent a lot of time improving in my life. Like if you just go to a driving range and just beat golf balls for 40 hours a week, you're not going to be a master at golf. If you go to the driving range and practice a couple very, very specific things to the point of near mastery on those things that will actually dial in and improve you know, the end yeah. goal, then you will much more quickly approach that mastery, but it still is, it's, it's, it's weird to think about the 10,000 hours. I think there's definitely something to be said, right? Like, I mean, going back to the Tiger Woods thing that, you know, he's like seven years old on Letterman or whatever. And it's like, at that point, he could have been playing golf for 40 hours a week for five years, right? They put a golf club in his hand when he's two and his dad leaves right. him on a golf course for 40 hours a week. He could very well be damn near a master by the time he's seven. And it's that I think that there is something to that there is there is a hard amount of hours that I think that given proper practice over over especially that many hours, you will be damn good at it. And sure. And I think that like maybe maybe you aren't good at it in this game, like you know, I, how many people do you know that have, you know, learned how to play guitar and have been playing guitar for, you know, fucking 30 years and they still kind of suck at it. Like they've put their 10,000 hours into it. Like I'm, I have put way more than 10,000 hours into my fucking guitars. And, uh, and I realized that I, I have a, a mastery of understanding what I like to do with a guitar. But if you want me to do, you know, I, you know, run scales and run solos and shit like that, I have no fucking idea. Like, <laughs> I, that's not what I do. Um, you know, like my mom is, um, she's got a, a music degree before she went to school to be a dental hygienist and eventually a dentist. She was going to be a music teacher because like music was the only thing that made sense to her and she was ex- extremely good at it and she realized that like she can read the language and speak the language of music but she can't like actually she's not passionate about music like when they were like improvise now for like you know 16 bars or whatever you know she's getting out there with her freestyle rap she couldn't fucking do it like she couldn't actually create in that space and she well was in you know ten thousand you know hours so like 
like there's a mastery there but she missed like a huge aspect of of which i'm have no idea how to read any of that stuff i like i know like if someone says a i can fucking play you an a like that's that's fine i can do all of that <laughs> i can tune a guitar i can you know like i i can understand how to write in a root of something but all i can do is create like so if someone said improvise for 16 bars and this is your route i will go to town for 16 bars yeah. like where she can't do it at all and so like i i think that understanding the the difference of what a mastery is is really important when thinking of time yeah because i think that um you know if you just think that oh well, i've put in the time i'm a fucking master like hmm. <laughs> you know you're you may be a master of this one thing that you do but typically there's a lot more to it yeah i think that that's in my mind that to me is the the strongest positive of the um master of one argument is is the understanding that there there realistically is potentially an hour hours put in number that ties to very high level execution of anything. And I think uh, some of that comes down to um, how good are you practicing in that 10,000 hours? Are you practicing the right thing? Are you learning the right thing? Are you pushing yourself? Are you just accepting, you know, are you actually practicing or are you just going through the motions? And I think that right. really comes much more down to the personality of the person involved. But I think that there is there is a direct path to mastery in the, the master of one mindset, um, which I think is interesting. It's something that I personally, I don't see. Like if you were like, hey, how do you get to be a master? I'd be like, I have no clue, no clue. Like if you <laughs> if you showed me the end of it, if you're like, here's the starting line, that down there is, that's that's where it's done, that's mastery, where do you go? I, I wouldn't know. I would tell you how to get started. I'll tell you how to probably beat half the race to the halfway mark but I could not tell you how to finish it. And that's just where my, my brain lives. Like, I just don't, I, I like miss that little bit before the finish line. I just can't, I can't see it. And I think a lot of it comes down to like diminishing returns. I think there is substantial diminishing returns the closer you get to mastery. The amount of stuff that you have to practice to go from 99% proficient to 100% proficient is absurd. Like it could be yeah, the okay, last, sure, sure. the last like 1000 hours. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like from a game of golf, right? Like if you're, if you're out there and you're like, I need to break par right? You're talking about shooting a 72 versus a 71. I think that's a year of practice. You know what I mean? And it's like, you might only take a couple of years to just get to there, but it's like, you know, that last, that last stroke to shave off your game is so hard to master. And it's all, and the, you may never hit it. I mean, that's the thing yeah. too, especially when it comes to sports, like think about all the people that have been there and that are masters and still haven't hit it. You know, yeah. golf being like, there are more professional golfers barely making it then you would actually know like yeah I, you know i i've known a couple of them here in st louis there's a lot of uh you know country clubs and golf communities here and um the the amount of time and money that they put into this thing and it's just like lucky that they were kind of born with the fucking silver spoon in their mouth like they they knew they knew that they could put this much time into a hobby like this and get to the point where they are they're fucking great but like they still aren't making it <laughs> you know like yeah. they are it's just um they've somehow managed to tie you know typically when you're at that point you tie golf into your everyday life you've become an uh a, you're just a, a golf person guy dude <laughs> Yeah, you're just a golf guy. You you are teaching lessons. You're you know doing all sorts of things. You are going to these uh, you know uh, things that have cash purses. You know, like you're you really 
are working very differently in a way that like i don't know if it exists in a lot like you don't ever get that as a musician like <laughs> like that yeah. money isn't just sitting there and you'll spend the same amount if not more like being a musician like it's it's very weird uh i think golf is a, a an interesting idea because like skill it, like when it comes down to an actual skill based thing it's it's uh yeah extremely extremely difficult to um to quantify what is mastery and what isn't like there's so many people that i would say are but yet they aren't michael jordan you know fucking look at bo jackson man fucking bo jackson bo no sports that dude played like football and then he played baseball so he was like i'm gonna be in the raiders and then i'm gonna be in the white Sox, and then i'm gonna do like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that uh archery he's an olympic fucking archer like that dude is a like every time i see him and listen to him talk i'm like you are a fascinating human being sir like how yeah. did you how do you exist this is amazing because he's actually like really good at everything he does like way better than uh someone who is a jack of all trades should be <laughs> yeah so okay i've actually it's weird that you bring up michael jackson or michael jordan because i've actually been thinking that while we've been talking right that maybe michael jordan is the exception to this right best basketball player of all time, all time. uh took a stint to literally go play professional baseball yep and was not bad but then now i'm thinking i'm like well is he the best basketball player of all time or is he one of the best athletes of all time? Right. And it's maybe the same argument for this other guy, you know, Bo Jackson. And it's like, maybe they're just an athlete. You know what I mean? And they're able to like transcribe these skills to be like, Hey, you know, like, and I guess that would make them just a Jack of all trades, but it's like, I guess there, you know, there's always exceptions to the rules, but yeah, I think that it's, I think sports, we see the most exceptions because i think it's the most statistically tracked like the world is just obsessed sure. with sports so i think it's easy to be like oh this person's the best basketball player of all time how could they possibly be that and still um you know play professional baseball like would that invalidate the jack of all trades arguments is he a master of one is he just the best athlete of all time like what the fuck's happening um, right but it's just so statistically tracked that i think that there's a lot more there's a lot more possibilities for evidence to destroy any argument on either side of this, where it's just like, yeah, the, the, there's just people, there's just outliers that just break everything. Did you watch the uh, documentary on the like 1994 dream team on Netflix? No, I saw, I haven't uh, watched it. I think it's called the last dance, I okay. think, um, which uh, it, it's the, the last waltz is a documentary and show about the band who <laughs> so like they aren't the same thing I, I remember when somebody's like you've watched the last dance it's like yeah it was scorsese recorded it it's the band neil young's out there with a big old like rock of cocaine hanging out of his nose they're like no we're the one about michael jordan i'm like oh, oh. no i guess i haven't watched it <laughs> um it's fascinating because like that era that was when i was i was super into basketball and sports uh at that age um, and you know, Michael Jordan was one of the most, uh, like inspiring people to be. Cause not only was he like amazing on the court, he was, had a very cool private life too. You know, he wasn't like super like into like, like womanizing and stuff. So like, he just seemed really wholesome, uh, and you know, especially coming from like where he came from to be that. So like, you just couldn't help but love him. But like at the same time that he was like going out and getting like the second world championship, he also was like filming Space Jam at the yeah. same time. 
like think about that like he was like he would play they built a basketball court outside of the the uh film studio in like a tent so he could keep on practicing and then go and play these fucking olympic games and stuff like that's that's nuts that's a level of like commitment i've I, like i don't even know if that exists anymore i don't know if they would do that for anybody else like that's that's amazing and uh and so you think about that shitty movie they put that much effort into their star and you know what he was a good actor in that movie too like it's when you see someone like that who just kind of is like it feels like they're naturally good at everything they do it's hard not to be mad <laughs> it's hard not to like take it personally like they took too much from the like the uh mastery well when they were born and like you, you didn't get near as much as that juice as you needed because he drank it all <laughs> yeah everybody else is famished because this asshole drank all the master juice yeah you actually you want to hear like the like into the weed sort of thought process yes like, i do yes, i have I do. thought th thought for many years that uh magic did exist on the planet in the way that like like actual was like oh i could like manifest fire and like shit like that actual like dungeons and dragons wizard shooting fucking fireball magic like i've thought that that is something that could have been but every time another human was born they like took from the pool of magic to give them life so like now we're at like seven million and we're actually becoming less magical and so like when you get into like the idea of like what magic is as far as like alistair crowley and all these people that talk about like free thought is our only actual bit of magic that we have left and like not being uh addicted and not doing things out of habit like making a clear thought is the only magic that's we truly have because we are cre every time we've made the decision we're, we're creating instead of doing something ritualistically or habit forming uh like if it, it's an interesting idea to think that that may actually be the only thing that's left of magic is our free thought and i i like well <laughs> i go down like really weird like mental tangents where i just think about that and i'm like huh it's really and like because I think some people are more attuned to things. I think some people do have more <laughs> more natural skill where they just see things a little clearer, you know. And it makes you wonder if like they are tuned into that magic in a way that maybe you know we aren't. You know, I, I don't know. Like it's it's a weird deep deep rabbit hole that we don't need to go down. But that's that's one of my one of my weird when when everybody else is wasted around me and I'm just sitting there like fucking with him like think about this for a minute <laughs> chew on this while i go to the bathroom <laughs> i love that um that's a wild thing to think about and um i will <laughs> per normal with our discussions you know this usual like i don't know we just talk about stuff and i can't stop thinking about it for a week i'm not gonna be able to fucking stop thinking about the fact that the more humans that exist the less magical we are yeah we're, we're way le way less special I'm fucking sold or, on that. Like, yeah, and and uh, I'm, that's a real cynical take. <laughs> that's a real cynical take, but and maybe it's true. I don't know. I'm in. I, I'm, I'm making in the this. best out of it. Whatever it's happening, I'm making the best. Out you of you have it. convinced me. You have fully convinced me of this. <laughs> um. Oh, so man. I think the important thing. I'm pulling it up now. I think one thing to discuss further 
um, with the idea of mastery is to me, I think my biggest thing, and I think I briefly mentioned it, but I think one of my biggest things about um, mastery is diminishing returns. Diminishing mm -hmm. returns is massive. Um, and I think that that's something that I have seen um, through my own hobbies, right? Like pursuing music the way that I did, like looking at, you know, trying to, you know, become a better music producer, you know, and the difference between what I was outputting and what other people were and having a very critical ear and understanding, like, I, I don't know how they did that. And, you know, I've been exposed to a lot of the gap between where my skills were at at any point in time in, in one of my hobby ventures versus the top tier and understanding, like, there is a absolutely mind-numbing amount of work between here and there. And it's like mm -hmm. the gains are so much less than the the input, you know, like you're working so much hard for minuscule gains on the output. And that to me, the, the idea of diminishing returns is something that um, I think I kind of understood um, a long time ago and never really could latch on to why I understood that or a theory that backs that until I was introduced to my very favorite thing in the world. 80, 20, 80, 20 is like it. And I think once I learned that, I mean, going back to earlier, you know, your comment about like, how, like you're all in on these things. How is it like that you can do this? My secret is that I am on a traditional grading scale. I am aiming for a B minus. That is it for almost every hobby or any, any of my endeavors, something that I don't really have to like really take, you know, like something that I can just understand, like, okay, I only need to be a B minus to be successful in my eyes at this, right? Unless there's some sort of work thing, something that's tied to literally my job or something like that. That's like, dude, no, you, you gotta be a hundred and you gotta figure out how to get there. If yeah. it's just like a project, something that I'm interested in, my goal is never mastery. My goal is B minus. And, um, that is in my mind, I mean, going back to the goals episode, it's more attainable. It's a smaller step towards the end goal. Um, but it also helps me accept, right. That th what it gets to go from a B minus to a hundred percent, that 20% to go from good to excellent is so much work. And it took me until, until I found the 80, 20 theories and, and any of the story about the 80, 20 and why this exists until I really found that I never really could latch on to why I felt that way. And then it started to, it was like, sure. it's like the gates of heaven opened up and they were like, you now see it. And I was like, holy shit. Um, but really <laughs> the 80, 20 thing is it comes from an Italian economist and his name is, uh, Vilfredo Perito and it is called the Perito principle, 80, 20. This was written in like, you know, feudalism times. Um, and basically he was like 20% of the Italian population, I think it's Italy, own 80% of the land. And he was like, that's fucking weird. And now way more fucked up, not even close. I can't even imagine an yeah. argument nowadays where it's like, wow, that's weird that only 20% of the people own 80% of it. It's more like, it's weird that uh, half of a percent owns 99% of all the wealth in the world. But right, um, right. So it's become even more, you know, you can't even really compare the the origins of 80-20 and the Pareto principle to current times. But where the 80-20 sure. principle really, really started clicking and resounding with me was from a language perspective. And um, I read a Tim Ferriss book many years ago, and he was basically like, if you learn the most important 20% of a language, you can participate in 80% of the conversations of that language. And I was like, 
Okay. I, I could see that. That seems fair. That seems sure. like I could latch onto this concept. And that extrapolates out into everything. And um, I think to me that became uh, almost an obsession was how do I isolate the most important 20% of a topic and how can I spend only 20% of mastery time, right? If we're on a scale from one to a hundred, a hundred's mastery, 80% is my target. If I'm following this principle, I can get to 80% with only 20% of the effort because the first 80% of this path is is actually quick to ascend. And it's the last 20% that is the grind. That is the very hard part of this push. And sure. so um, that's kind of where this all started to click with me and resound and how I really approach the vast majority of my life, uh, the vast majority of my creative projects, my, my painting projects currently, um, golf, going back to golf, you know, what's 80, what's, you know, what's causing 80% of my missed strokes, you know, and focusing on that. And so, sure. That's where my head lives. And there's there's an excellent checklist by Devin Nash. And we could probably just link, I think it's probably important if you're interested in this topic to actually just watch the Devin Nash uh, YouTube video about this. But he has a checklist that he he fills out and discusses further in there. And this, I think, narrows down my approach to a lot of stuff in a way that I hadn't seen prior to this. This really solidified. It's something. This was something that I filled out, spent a lot of time through 2021, really looking at this checklist, the questions in it, and helping identify the most important parts of what I'm working on, which helps me be the most successful jack of all trades that I can be by narrowing down what really matters, what is worth it, and literally not doing anything else. And I think that this type of mentality is what allows you to have success in this jack of all trades bucket. Because I think jack of all trades, I think it's easy to uh, get unfocused, to have too many targets, to lose where you're going, to have too many projects and and lose that. You need to have a very narrow focus on what actually success is inside of your endeavors as a jack of all trades. And, and this checklist really helps me dial in on that. Um, and there's a few questions specifically that really stand out to me. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, the first question, what are 20% of the activities or people that are producing 80% of what I want? And so, um, you know, thinking about painting, right? Like if, if I want to produce a B minus miniature, what is it? There's only a few things that I need to do to have somebody say, that's pretty damn good. I don't need somebody to say, that is the best space Marine I've ever seen. That is, <laughs> this is world-class. Why? This is a golden right. demon. I'm not going for that. I just want somebody to say, that's pretty damn good. That's my goal. And to me, it's like I've through my time in the hobby and learning and experiencing, it's like, I just need a good base coat. I need good metallics. I need good weathering. I need a good base, you know, and those few things are not that much work, but they give that 80% of a golden demon, right? It gives that 80% of like, this is the best painted miniature I've ever seen. You get pretty damn close with focusing in on the most important things. Um, and so sure. there's a lot of other questions, but I think one thing too, that's really, really important to dig in on um, is... Uh, what um, are the 20% of activities that are producing 80% of my problems? And that is powerful. That, that I'd never heard the 80-20 approach talk about like, you know, I think a lot of people look at 80-20 from how do I focus on what's the most important, but I've never heard somebody sure. break it down and be like, how do I cut out the stuff that's not delivering me results? Um, sure. So I think there's an addition and a subtraction to this mentality. And that that was really important to me to say, hey, this, you know, I'm involved in this hobby and I'm doing all this stuff. And this 20% uh, that I don't spend that much time on is causing me 80% of my headaches. It's causing me all this stress, all this added nonsense. 
And it's like, it's only a fraction of my time. And then you can start to identify maybe things that aren't adding value, whether it's, you know, just, um, you know, toxicity in your hobbies, if it's just not producing the output you want, if it's not leading to the desired end goal, I think that you can start to identify what to remove, which I think will narrow your focus further. And so that was really transformative when I started thinking about it like that. Um, And then he he has, you know, more in-depth questions that um, are more of this mentality, but not necessarily exactly 80-20 style stuff. It's like, if I could only work for two hours next week, two hours, if you have two hours to do your whole job, what would you do? And like thinking about it that narrowly, I think also immediately narrows your focus to be like, okay, like, how would I go to bed feeling like I accomplished anything for a whole week if I just did two hours of work? And I think sure. that there's there's certain things, you know, like if I'm thinking about from like a painting brand perspective, right? Like I used to say, if I could only do um, two hours of work and my entire purpose is to grow my brand, I would just take pictures for Instagram. That's it. That's what I would sure. do for two hours. I would exclusively focus on Instagram content because I think that there's a very high return on your time investment with Instagram content. And so that's what I would do. I would lean into that and I would say for two hours, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a post for each day. Uh, I'm gonna take cool photos. I'm gonna make sure that they're cropped right. You know, they're detailed, they're perfect. And then I'm gonna release it. That's my two hours of work, you know? And I think that narrowing your focus that much really helps you come up with like end goals for like, what does 80-20 mean to you? What does being a jack of all trades mean to you? And to me, sure. like 80-20 is so built into the, my jack of all trades approach to stuff that I cannot exist without the 80-20 as a backbone of any of my business, my hobbies, my life, whatever. It just lives there. Sure. And um, that I think also is really stems from just understanding my acceptance of just being like, I just want to fucking B minus on this project, dude. And sure. Um, that's they used to get degrees. Man. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And that's, that's going back to your, like, you know, how do you make it look like you did more than you did? And it's like, yeah, that's how it's, you narrow it down to the highest return on your investment and you cut the noise. Sure. So how, how do you get help when you can't see your 80 20 like when you're too too much in the weeds which i think is where a lot of us end up we're like oh we are in way over our head like how do you get your perspective to to change uh mentorship or um communication with somebody that you think has that figured out um somebody who's maybe gone through whatever your hobby is right like if if you know we'll just I know that we kind of use miniature painting as a bit of a cornerstone, but if you're like, I want to be a successful commission painter, um, I would urge you to not reach out to somebody who paints necessarily display pieces, right? Because they're they're maybe the upper elite of that. I would say maybe reach out to uh, an army painter and say, hey man, how do you paint so many damn armies? And just soak up some of their knowledge and see what of that applies to you. You know, I think okay. building up partnerships and transparency with people who... Um, are maybe very good at something that you want to do, but are also people who are on the same wavelength as you, right? Like, I think it's important to understand who among your peers and friends is 
kind of more jack of all trades minded and reaching out to people who are a successful jack of all trades for advice and understanding in those topics. I think it's also important, you know, like I'm not saying don't have master of one friends. They, they exist, right? Like I know display painters, I have display painter friends, but I think it's narrowing right. it down to say like, you know, who has an appropriate mindset, who has a very similar mindset to me and what can I learn from? And like, I think that that's a part of mentorship. And this is something I talk about at work all the time, but it's, Mentors are very interesting. And I think a lot of people should look into having a mentor for various things, you know, professionally, especially, you know, if you're in a job and you're like, I, I don't know, I got to develop or do whatever. Mentors are great. But I think sure. there's two types of mentors. There's the person who is exactly like you. Exactly. Like you are a spitting image of them. You talk the same, you walk the same, you have the same strengths, you have the same opportunities and you can learn how they became successful with the tools that you already have. That's the first mentor. And the other mentor is like your exact opposite, the yin to your yang. They are nothing like you. They don't approach business the same. They approach problems completely differently. That's another very important person to learn from because they bring something to the table that your brain literally can't process. And sure. being exposed to that mentality will also help. So I think, I think exposure is probably the biggest thing for like narrowing down like, hey, how do I identify what's the most important parts of this is exposure to opinions of people who might be successful at that topic will help. Um, you know, like golf, for example, you know, like one of, one of my best buddies is a golf pro. Like he's not on tour. He's a, he's a coach. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're usually at the beginning of the summer, I'm like, Hey man, this is what, uh, you know, I've been kind of tracking my scorecard. Here's some things I suck at. What do you recommend to maybe work on? You know, is there a couple drills or is there maybe a couple things I could improve at? Um, and, uh, you know, he always tells me it's putting and I fucking hate practicing putting, um, but he's right. Dude, you know? putting's the best, man. Oh, I hate Miniature practicing golf putting. Miniature golf is the best. <laughs> and it's, but he's right. You know, that's, that is the part of my game where I lose strokes on the golf course. Um, more, that's, that's the, that's the difference, right? That's the difference between me shooting above 80 and under 80. It's always on the putting greens. And yeah. if I want to improve my score, that's what I got to practice, you know? And so like having somebody to reach out to, to say, Hey, you know, you're an expert at breaking down analytics of this thing, you know, for example, like, you know, he's very good at understanding, looking at somebody's scorecard and saying, this is where your area of opportunity is. And giving you that feedback helps me narrow that focus to be like, fuck, I guess I got to go practice putting this week, you know? And it's like, <laughs> but that's what will improve me. That's what will narrow my focus sure. to yield the best results on my scorecard this year is like, yeah, sure. I got to make more four foot putts than last year, you know, and it's like, that's the difference. So I, I would say reaching out, developing a mentor relationship, finding somebody that you can just have these transparent conversations with will really help you narrow that focus to be like, Hey, this is, this is something that personally, I don't see any return on investment and I don't do. And here's why. And you don't have to, yeah. you know, it's not Bible, right? Like you don't have to be like, yeah, okay. I'm not doing that anymore, but it's important to understand, to like really listen and take what they're saying and see how you can apply it to you. Because if I tell you, I don't fucking edge highlight a miniature, but if it's important to you, then it's, that doesn't change that. It still is important to you, but it's important to understand why I don't, you know? And like, I think that that's, that's a very important part of narrowing your focus to be a more successful jack of all trades is, is it's because you recess shade. You, I do. You, you go the other way. Yeah. I overemphasize <laughs> my shading and I think that that naturally produces highlights. So yeah. That's what I would say. I mean, if, I think if you're stuck on the journey, I think if you're just trying to identify like, hey, what is even the most important 80%, you know, what, what do I need? Like, if I want to be successful at this, what does 80% of success look like? If, if you're having a hard time even finding that, reaching out to somebody who's successful in that, they'll, I think they'll give you a good, a good launch off point. But from there, the next sure. step is figuring out 
what of those is your 80%? Because everybody yeah. has a different B minus, right? In any hobby, in any endeavor, we all have a different B minus and it's figuring out what is your B minus and what is the fastest way to get there. And I think if you yeah. can figure out the few things that you're like, I'd be very happy if my piece had, you know, miniature painting, right? If I, if I submitted a piece to a competition and I have non-metallic, I have a really cool fucking plinth, I have excellent shading, I have good texture and I have smooth blends, right? If that's it, then cool. There's so many more things you could include in a display piece. But if it's just a handful of things, you can really narrow in and say, these are the only things I'm gonna focus on on this piece. And sure. it, it reduces the amount of time on the piece. It, it changes your focus. And then it starts what I think is the infinite productivity loophole that the better you get at something, the faster you get at it, which allows you to do more of it, which allows you to get better at it. And it is a literal infinite loophole of productivity and success because you're just getting faster at something. And the more you do it, the faster you do it, the more experience you get at it, the better you get at it, the faster you get at it. It's like this, it's this crazy loop that doesn't stop once you get in it. And it produces, yeah. in my opinion, considering the time investment, very high end results. Um, but I think that that's, I think that's approaching um, jack of all trades from, yeah, to your point, I'm, I'm, I min-max everything. And that's kind of how I approach it is it's like, I'm not gonna do this thing if it's not going to, make the end goal significantly better. Um, yeah. I, and that's it. It's just cutting out diminishing returns. It's really interesting because like, uh, I didn't realize I was 80, 20 in school right now, but I am fucking 80, 20 in school. Cause, uh, my online, uh, program is, uh, uh, you need an 80% or higher to pass. Like, C's don't get degrees in this school. Like you have to do, gotta get that B minus. <laughs> or you don't pass. And so literally everything I'm doing in my day is, I, I don't want to sell myself short on like my education. I think that that is, you know, when, when people are trying to accelerate a program and get really good at things, I think that there's a tendency to miss some real at, uh, great aspects of learning. Um, so I'm not trying to sell myself short on like the time that I am spending here. Like I, I want to get my the most out of it but the uh interesting thing is that like i am like cutting corners all the time because i'm like i could read these three other articles that would give me this much more information which is some really good shit that's tied to it like they are they're really great at giving you rabbit holes to go down and if i'm not getting a class i will go down those rabbit holes just so i can actually make sure that i hit that 80 percent but like with things that where I'm like just brushing up on it, I am like, what can I do to get through this as fast as possible? And it's the reason why like I, you know, have completed two college courses in the last week. In the last month, I've uh, uh, passed six of them. I will, uh, by the end of January, I will have done two full years of school in four months. Like, <laughs> like it's nuts to think about that. And it is, it, it, and it's stuff that I didn't even realize that that had a, had a term. And I'm literally doing it every single time I'm opening up my books. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need this. Pass this quiz, moving on, moving on. And you know, like, it's as, as, as what I can get as much as I can but also knowing that like nobody memorizes all this shit, you know, even the fucking professional, you know, business manager is going to Google the best way for conflict resolution. <laughs> you know, right. like, like that, like everybody is constantly learning. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. I think 
I think it's interesting because I think that there's a lot of people who might be listening to this too that are like, you know, uh, there's, I think there's a lot of, I, th I would say people are predominantly more jack of all trades minded than master of one minded. And I think, I think that there's a lot that we have in common between tons of us, right? That we, there's just, it's, you're not exposed to like, you know, the theory, like why does your brain work like this? And I think that a lot of this sure. is inherently wired into us because of our personality types. And I think the more that you're exposed to the theories behind it, it can, it can enhance your skills as, as, you know, the jack of all trades even further. I think when you understand, you know, the, the tools that you bring to the table and how to use them the right way, it will make you so much better. And, but you also, you know, you gotta be aware of what, what you're, what you don't bring to the table, you know? Like I know one of my buddies criticizes me. He's like, so you're just never going to be like excellent at anything. And I'm like, nope. nope. And he's like, <laughs> does that bother you? And I'm like, no. And he's like, how? And I'm like, I, it just, that's just not my goal. It's just not. Sure. And like, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of personal exploration and understanding of what you really want to get to make the most out of being a jack of all trades style person. And I think, um, it's accepting complete over perfect is is such an important thing to learn early in the journey. It's like done is done is better than perfect and a B minus, goddamn it, in most cases is better than a hundred if you consider what goes into it. And it's yeah, that's that's it. That's where my brain lives. We're only on this rock for like a really short amount of time. And if that extra twenty percent, like it will make you happy. I say go for it. Mm -hmm. But if you are like the rest of us and you just want to fucking like get by and enjoy things, like, yeah, like I, I think that I, I'm with you. Like that extra 20% can be like the most mind numbing work ever. And you know, like in, in, in the guitar world, you like all the guys are like, oh, I'm doing like the, the master sweep arpeggio shit you know and they're thinking about learning all their schedules like almost all of them have said to me at one point in time that like i just got a bunch of meth and i locked myself in a hotel room for a week and i sat there and i did meth and i played guitar and i'm like this is not an uncommon thing that i've heard from professional musicians like it's something that like more than five times i've heard it from yeah. actual traveling touring musicians i'm like that is nuts because if you lock me in a room with meth for five days, I also will have stole a car. <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't keep me fucking focused. I'd be like, well, time to go do some shit. You know, yep. like I, I would fucking lose my mind. So like, I think I'm just built for the B minus. I think I'm built in an 80, 20 world. And I didn't even, didn't even know it. <laughs> well, that's wholesome. <laughs> Doing meth, stealing cars. It's the way it, that's the way we end it. <laughs> that's 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 the master of wonders of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you got it, and if you like, seriously, if you're listening to this and you're like, "But I am the master of one," like, like fucking message us. Let's let's talk about it because I would like to actually know what goes into that. Um, Me too. More because uh, I'm fascinated by it, and I think that there is a. Uh, uh, I think that we can all learn from each other. Like, I think that like saying that there's any one way to do anything is a really dangerous proposition. I think that we can, we can learn and we can grow just from experience, you know, walking a mile into everybody's shoes and learning, learning how they got where they got. So huge agree, huge agree. Huge and I agree. think that ties us back to the, um, you know, challenge your beliefs. If you feel some, yeah. some way, Talk to somebody who doesn't and see if you still feel that way. 
And yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm I second that. Yeah, if there's if there's a master one out there, we I, I'm very curious how your brain works. I want to know all about it. I want to know what you know. I want to know why you're good at it and why you're not a, a jack of all trades. I do. I'm curious. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've got a couple people that I have talked to about you know doing a show and uh and uh i think that we might have some people that will will challenge us at, at their their uh levels so hopefully we can line them up in the future to to do something like this yeah let's do it call us come on the show yes let's do it <laughs> uh well dude Trenton, thank you for like uh, opening up your process about the jack of all trades and your 80-20 rule because like, yeah, I think that I, I you'll be thinking about magic all week and, and you'll be like, that motherfucker ruined my brain today. <laughs> and I'll be like, how can I get 80% of this done right now? <laughs> like, how do I get to, to just, just get like, I'll be thinking very differently this week. Yeah. That's how it always goes. Every time we talk, I'm like, man, fuck. Let's pump each other up. <laughs> pump them up. Um, what are you stoked about this week? Uh, so even though I wasn't able to do uh, New Year's, uh, unfortunately, you know, with the COVID exposures and stuff, I got a board game <laughs> last week that I backed on Kickstarter called Townsfolk Tussle. It is like cuphead and it's like that old 1930s you know steamboat willy uh, art style and they have all these like you know minis that come with it that are like really fun cute little like um you know this is fish boy and he's got a fish on his head and you know and it has these little standees uh, i don't know if my thing's focusing or not on it but I um I decided that I was going to speed paint all of the main characters that you can play as. And I got through six of them before we found out that there was a COVID exposure. So I still have one that I need to paint. Um, but like I had so much fun painting these models, even though they're not good. They're actually really sloppy. And it's like I took some photos of them and put them online. And I'm like, they're really fun. But like I look at that and be like, that is like a fraction of my actual skill level going into them. Uh, and, I, and I just had this moment of like, not everything has to be your best. You can actually just do something for fun and come back to it later and tidy it up if it bothers you. But chances are, I'm going to put these back in the box. And when I pull it out to play it in six months, whenever you know it happens, I'm going to be like, surprised that oh there's some painted stuff in here and it's gonna look cool so i i i i fucking love the look of the game it's basically kingdom death without all the bullshit so uh i'm i'm digging it uh, i think that it's been a good uh breath of fresh air for me townsfolk tussle hell I yeah i don't think you can buy it anymore like like you're getting it second-handed i know a guy <laughs> if you want one yeah you gotta meet him in an alley and he only takes crypto uh fucking cutthroat cure bought a bunch and i think he said he still has one left so like uh you know if, you, if you're helping a fellow mini painter and small business entrepreneur out if you decide that you want it he i think he still has one left <laughs> yeah. what about you man um you know work's been really crazy i would say professionally it's just been um it's actually been really good we just shifted teams and um i am very 
I'm pretty, I was a little nervous about the team change, but I'm, I'm really optimistic about my new boss. I'm having a good time with him. He's great. Um, you know, and I've got a great mentor relationship at work. So I'd say professionally, like I've had a really good, like kickoff to the year so far that I'm excited about. Nice. And then personally, like our whole friend group is prepping for a ski trip on Thursday. So we're all, we've all been quarantining because it's the same friend group from New Year's Eve being canceled because everybody had co like, you know, half the group had COVID now they're better and they're getting tested yeah. to make sure. And me and my wife just got COVID tested yesterday just to make sure. So the whole friend group, you know, we're all getting tested. We're all like, you know, we've been quarantined. We're trying to do the right thing just leading up to the ski trip. So um, very optimistic about that. Um, hoping that we're all COVID free um, and looking forward to skiing. We finally are getting a shit ton of snow here because um, it has been oh, yeah. a brutal winter so far. Oh yeah. Like dude, there was, like up until like mid December, there was like, you know, four runs on the entire mountain open. And there's, you know, when I say the mountain, like I'm talking about Breckenridge where it's, it's four peaks, like there's four mountains, it's yeah. one resort and there's four runs on one mountain open, you know? And it's like, there was no snow. It was horrible. Like, it's like literally Damn. a desert here this year. And finally it's been dumping. There's been like feet of snow coming in a day or two up there. So it's, I'm very excited about, I feel like the ski season's finally here. I'm really excited to get up there and snowboard a bit with the gang. And, um, God, it's been so long since I've been snowboarding. Uh, it's, it's too expensive for me. Oh, like dude, I love doing fucking it, but it's crazy. Like fucking, it's crazy expensive. I love inner tubing yeah. and I love like snowmobile riding. Yeah. Like that's the shit. I got a snowmobile license at like the age of 12. So I could like legally ride on the streets with a snowmobile because like, I love doing it. <laughs> it was the shit. Uh, and I, so I, I miss that aspect of, uh, the, the growing up in the middle of nowhere wilderness life. So I am super excited. It's also why I got a one wheel. So like, if you want the feeling of snowboarding the rest of the year, one wheel is the shit. It yeah. is what it's all about. I've looked into those. Uh, they were, I looked into it right like at the beginning of COVID because me and my wife, like, do you remember like, like peak, like lockdown, don't leave your house COVID. And like, but you would like go on like bike, right? Like there was nothing open, but you could like go into the world. It was just, everything was closed. So like we got yeah. into bicycling. We would just bicycle everywhere. And um, yeah. we were, we bicycle, we live pretty close to a reservoir. So we bicycled down to the reservoir one day and we pull up to a stoplight and there's a guy on, on a one wheel standing next to me. And I just looked at him and I was like, is that as fun as it looks? And he's like, hell yeah, brother. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I looked into it and then I was like, fuck, these things are expensive for what they are. I don't think I want one that bad, but um, I did look into them. They're pretty rad. It still is on my like, you know, do it's uh, the aftermarket price is going down on all the XR stuff because they just discontinued them. So okay. you aren't able to like they're the the new model should be out at the end of the month. And so it's uh, I love it. I think it's I'll a great it time. It's it's awesome to get outside. It feels like did you ever skateboard like if, um, if you snowboarded? Yeah, I've like, snowboarded a lot and I longboarded a lot like I've been on skateboards, but I was never a skateboarder. Okay. Well, longboarding is totally similar. Yeah. Um, there is something about telling, like you think like I want to go to here, but you haven't done anything. You, there's no hand controls. You just are leaning into it and you're controlling it off of that. That is just like very magical feeling. And every time like you get out and especially if you got like a bunch of friends with them and like we've done off-road riding with them which is nuts the fact that like you're like keeping up with mountain bikes going through these weird like single track trails and shit like is it's 
it's thrilling and it's a it's a hobby that i didn't know how important it would be to me uh and this year it's like uh, i love it i'm i'm like pissed that it's so cold outside right now because it is no fun to one wheel in the cold <laughs> because if you do yeah. fall and hit the concrete Ugh. in the cold ugh, nope. no thanks no falling in the snow you. not so bad just sucks but like concrete ugh. yeah 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 right on man well thank you so much for all of your insight no thank uh, you think, dude this i has think been... we all got a lot to chew on man and uh and i jack I, of all I, trades. I appreciate this jack of all trades team jack of all trades <laughs> it's the gang it's the gang um yeah i i mean i don't really have a ton of closing thoughts i mean i think that yeah, yeah. as always this has been a wonderful conversation heath always a pleasure something wholesome some very wholesome people <laughs> thank you guys for tuning come in come find Soon. us on instagram on our, our youtubes on our twitches on our band camps come hang out it's good time we love y'all see you next time <laughs>